Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Someday, uh, church, those words are going to be history. Let me pray. Lord, I am so grateful for your word and your promises. And just as you have proven through the thousands of years of biblical history that you have not allowed one single promise to fall to the ground, so we look with great hope on the fulfillment of this promise in which we will see you face to face in a day in which all of the things that, that stain and stagnate and kill, demoralize, disintegrate and decay, will be reversed. In a day in which you lovingly and intimately wipe the pain out of our eyes and out of our lives, and as we exist and live forever in the eternal joy of your presence and with each other. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant eyes to see and hearts to believe these words, um, we're frail, so often distracted by the uh, tinsel of, of this life and, and the allurements of it that we, we become so preoccupied that we forget that this is where we're headed. And um, everything in this life can be taken away and broken, as we know. But that day, when it comes, the broken will be made unbroken and unbreakable. And so we just ask your blessing on this, this word and... Awaken faith, inspire hope, and allow us to live in the freedom of our future. In Christ's name, amen. I'm actually not preaching out of this passage, but I'm, I'm going to be in Isaiah, as the screen behind me says, chapter 57. I'm going to be looking at verse 8, but um, I don't have to tell you that Christmas time is both a time of joy and also of, of sorrow for many um, because of the power of memories and traditions of Christmas. Um, Families mourn the loss of the people who have um, passed away and passed on. And um, so Christmas is a good news and a bad news kind of thing. And then you open the newspapers and you, you read and it's, it's just kind of bad news. We're kind of surrounded by it. I, was, um, I, I read the, the paper uh, on my, uh, on, in a digital format. And I, this is the Washington Post. You know, this is on Friday and you read it and you're kind of like thinking, can't we just have some good news once in a while? You know, there's just so much conflict, conflict with Russia and conflict in their different parties. And then you read the story and then reread the story of the massacre that took place at Virginia Tech um, in 2007. And uh, just students gunned down and killed. And it's just bad news, bad news, bad news. And then the bottom of the first page is, you know, the, basically the talks have collapsed of trying to recover economically in the European Union. And and Iran displays purported U.S. drone. It just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside when you read a, a newspaper like that. And uh, as I mentioned last week, there's a, there, there seems to be um, a lot of growing pessimism in our time. And um, it's times like this where we can easily be distracted by the pessimism of the world from the optimistic hope of the Bible. 
And so in this season in which people struggle with suffering and loss and also just the general bad news around us, which kind of characterizes our day, we wanted to point our hearts and our, our focus on hope and on, in particular, what the Lord's going to do and why the Christian has every reason to rejoice and be glad and to walk confidently because we should have a sense of optimism based upon what God has done and what he's going to do in the future. And amidst all the bad news, we need that good news like heralded, lifted up and constantly reminding ourselves of, of the fact that it's true. And one of those places is, is the, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah. And for those of you who have read it, it is a book with dark judgment portions and also some of the highest, most glorious descriptions of hope and salvation side by side. And one of the places that talks about hope and good news is found in a passage that we looked at briefly last week. We looked at just three words, your God reigns. And uh, it envisions a messenger coming with good news. That's how they got the paper back then, is on, by word of mouth, by a messenger running over mountains and saying, hey, we've, we've, uh, we've won the day, we've won the battle, and, and that's what's envisioned here. And it's good news, but it's good news of, of uh, what God's going to do. And let me read it for us again. Um, how to beautiful upon the mountains. And these words, again, are cited in Romans chapter 10 as applying to Jesus. With that said, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see. And it's interesting, just the picture is the, of, of an individual coming over the mountains toward a city, and then the watchmen are on the wall, and as they hear the good news that your God reigns, they respond, and they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Verse 9, break forth together in singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem, the Lord has bared his holy arm, that's a picture of strength raw power before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Last week we looked at verse 7, the content of what was spoken about the good news, namely what's in quotes there, your God reigns. That's what they hear. Verse 7, or verse 8, we get the good news of what they see, what the watchmen see. And what they see in verse 8 is the return of the Lord to Zion. Now, Zion is just a way of talking about the Lord's return to his people in blessing, favor, and salvation. And what I want to do is just focus on those five words in verse 8, the return of the Lord. And yes, there are five. I know some of you are counting. Five. I counted. I did my homework. The, the return of the Lord. And just to let it, I pray by the Holy Spirit, intensify a sense of hope as to what it means. The Lord reigns. But I want to look at those five words by tying them to other portions of Isaiah, because Isaiah talks about how the Lord returns to Zion, or how he returns to his people in salvation, um, perhaps more explicitly than any other prophet. In a couple of places, he tells us that God's coming to his people comes or takes place in the form of a child that's born. In other words, the Jewish people were led to believe, based upon what the prophets have told, Isaiah in particular, that all of their hopes hinged on the birth of one single person. 
So we have verses like chapter 7, verse 14, and chapter 9, verse 6, which I'll put on here for you. And this isn't, for some Christians, like I read those all the time. Every Christmas they come out, and they have no meaning for me anymore. It's like, whew. I just want to reflect once again on the fact that we're told 600 years before Jesus was ever born in manuscripts that we still are uncovering over there that are predate the birth of Jesus with great vivid description and particularity that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin, that God coming comes in the form of a baby born of a virgin. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. His name shall be called, or they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the Lord returning to Zion in the form of a baby born of a virgin. Now, the Gospel of Matthew picks that up and, 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 and says that that's fulfilled in Jesus. We get to chapter 9, verse 6, and we see, For unto us a child is born, and his name shall be called, among other things, Mighty God. So he very clearly and vividly connects the return of the Lord to Zion to the birth of a baby from a virgin, a child whose name is Mighty God. Now, I say that not so much for those of you who believe and are seasoned because you know this, but every Advent there are people who are here who don't yet believe. And to me, this is a bit of a a persuasive evidence that this whole thing is real. You know, when they unearthed the Dead Sea Scrolls, they unearthed almost an entire scroll of Isaiah. They carbon dated it and found it was roughly between 1st and 2nd century B.C., before Jesus was ever on the scene, with prophecies about a virgin birth and Almighty God coming. And then when Jesus was born, it happened. That, to me, is pretty compelling evidence that the Bible is true. So that's the end of the parenthesis. This is more for the unbeliever than for the believer. It's tied to one single individual. The key to the renovation and the restoration of all things It's tied to this one person, and not just in the prophet Isaiah, but the rest of the prophets and, of course, the New Testament. Now, if you kind of follow this story into the New Testament, you realize that God's coming to Zion has two phases, or God's coming to his people in the form of Jesus has two phases, a first coming and a second coming. The first was to redeem his people from sin and from death, that is, by dying on the cross. And the second one, his second coming, his return, which will complete the Lord's return to Zion, is to restore all things, to bring it to completion, to make all the wrongs right. Now, I know, so I want to just focus on the second part of that. We're going to talk about the redeeming um, aspect of the coming of Christ next week. So we're going to talk about the second coming, the return of Christ. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, especially if you're under 30, maybe under 25. I know because I've been there. As you're thinking to, my, you're thinking to yourself, okay, uh, the return of the Lord Okay, that's kind of exciting, but there's things that I want to experience first. I want to get my license, I want to get married, and I want to have kids. So I want the Lord to come, but I want him to come later. Um, And I know you're not going to believe the testimony of those who are older than you, but um, time, age, and experience will begin to melt the frosting off that cake pretty quick. It's not to say that there's not joy in those things. You just realize that they're not as glamorous as you once thought they were. And I guarantee you, based upon what we're going to say in a few minutes, uh, if he was to return today, you would not lose anything. Nothing. 
And, um, and more importantly than that, I, I really believe in my heart of hearts that if we don't have a strong desire and a strong faith in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the renewal of all things, that it's going to be impossible for us to love one another selflessly. It's going to be really hard to endure hard times. And it's going to be hard for us to, to, to rejoice even when we're suffering. But when that is believed and it's a passion of our souls, then we're able to manage the Christian life with a sense of joy and with a sense of endurance and able to love one another because, hey, the best is yet to come. Now, I will tell you that there are two, in my heart, there are two things which make my, my heart leap more than anything else in the Bible. One is coming back to the grace of God that was unleashed at the cross and realizing that, that he did everything for me and that I couldn't do and for you. And just coming back to that just blows my heart away with the, the amazing love of God. But the other aspect is just to think about what that did, what it purchased in terms of the future for us. Uh, we were at a conference I don't know, probably about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, um, we went down and heard a, a, a great theologian, world-renowned by the name of N.T. Wright. He was doing a conference down in San Francisco. And at one point, he is explaining uh, about the renovation of the entire universe at the return of Christ. And the way he described it put me there. And after I heard that, I went home and I woke up the next, sometime in the middle of the night, and I thought to myself, if, if that's true, and I can see myself there, and I believe it, then all of this stuff doesn't matter as much anymore. And I really believed it. And, and so I, I'm hoping that, that maybe, again, this is the Spirit's work. I wish I could somehow, we could all turn on light bulbs in our hearts and just make us feel it. But um, I trust the Spirit will do that, not me and His Word. Um, but there are several things that are going to happen, according to Isaiah, when the Lord returns to Zion, he returns to his people. Now, these are going to come across maybe as stale at the beginning of what I say, because I'm going to put it in a propositional statement. That is just stated outright. But I want it to kind of, us to feel it as we pull it into the experience or the flesh of existence. Uh, the first one that we're, we're told in Isaiah, <coughs> excuse me, is that um, when the king returns, when Jesus returns, when the Lord returns to Zion... Um, what will happen is the final removal, final removal of our struggle with sin, suffering, and death. That's the final removal of it. Now, I know I hear those words, I say those words, I see them on the screen, and it's kind of like, okay. And that's because sometimes we don't, we, we detach our experience from words. But when we can take words and we can look at experience and then go back to the words, it really helps um, like, for example, uh, 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 Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, listen to this bit of wisdom. He says that it's better um, to be in the house of mourning than in the house of feasting. In other words, it's better to be in a place where you're mourning death in life than in the house of, of, of partying when you're not going to be associated or not going to feel death. And there's a reason for that, because something about being in the house of mourning and being confronted with the experience of it sobers you to see life as it really is. We, I have probably been closer to death this season than any other season in terms of going to funerals. Um, yesterday sat on a couch and listened to a person who said, the doctor told me I have a year and her family is devastated. They are in the house of mourning. 
But what that does, though it's a hard place to be, is it kind of shatters all of the, the misconceptions and the, the plasticness of life. It just melts it all away, and you realize this is where it's at. I mean, this is where it all ends. And it really sobers you. Like, this is life in this world, and nothing else does it quite like death. And death hurts. It doesn't just hurt the person who's going to leave, but it also hurts the people who are left behind. Do you know this? To love in this world is to hurt. Her family is hurting already at her loss at some point, at her leaving, at their loss of her. I I read C.S. Lewis, two books by him, both of them on pain. Um, one is called The Problem of Pain, and it kind of examines the whole issue of pain in the Christian life from a very theological vantage point, a very powerful, good, uh, rational book. But then he wrote another book called A Grief Observed, which is his reflections and journaling as his wife was heading towards her terminal death. The two are very different. You can theologize it, but the experience of it is powerful. In terms of, at one point he writes about how, you know, his wife wasn't dead yet, and yet there, there are little moments of joy. If you've ever seen the Shadowlands, you'd, you'd hear, hear uh, this statement, where he realized that in those moments of joy, they were simultaneously moments of great pain because he knew that they would never happen that way again. And that, that's what time and that's what this fallen world heading towards death does. And you feel it. This is our experience. I, in, a, in a similar way, just watching time kind of wash everything downhill, and you can't stop it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my, my wife was out of town, and, and I thought I'd do a really good thing. And on a Saturday night before Sunday morning, I thought, you know, I'm going to take my youngest thing and I'll put him in bed with me, you know? We snore something fierce. And uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning coming. But, you know, it was cool. Um, he was just talking my ear off in bed with me, just talking. And I was, I was at the point where I was falling asleep. It's like, oh, dude, i got to go to bed. Um, but it was an interesting moment as I reflect on it because there was something about me that just enjoyed him at, hearing his voice and knowing he's five, almost six. But there was also a pain involved because I, I know that he's not going to be that way for very long. And then you add to that the fact that, you know, we love having children and they, we love children and those moments, knowing we can't freeze time and just enjoy them, it's, it's going to move on. And to know what they're going to experience as they enter into life that we can't keep them from, that they're going to have to experience the broken hearts, and they're going to have to experience the failures, and they're going to struggle with sin just like the rest of us. That's a hard thing as a parent. That, that's a painful reality. You look at any facet of our existence, and there's pain along with the joy everywhere. And then if we were to be really honest as Christians we'd acknowledge that this thing called the Christian life, I mean, at times it's full of joy, but simultaneously it's a struggle. You know, sometimes it feels like you take uh, two steps forward, one step back, sometimes three steps back. And, and you have a seasoned Christian going through a dark night of the soul saying, I don't even know if I'm saved. There are people here who probably feel that way. Like this last week, you totally blew it. And, and you've come here and you've just... Com- completely demoralized, completely defeated. Listen, that, that, that's pain. That's the real life. Over me and I had a, had a bit of a moment in my office where we just stopped for a second because we were talking about the message, and he, he said, you know how awesome it's going to be when all that's gone? 
But that's, that's what Isaiah says in chapter 11, or chapter 25, verse 8. When the Lord returns, it's God who wipes away the tears of all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. The very one who suffered and experienced death in our place is going to come and heal everything for good and wipe it out. I mean, we talk about extinct species of animals, which is a sad thing. But to think that pain, suffering, and death are going to be an extinct species at the return of Jesus, not even a possibility. No longer ever the threat of struggle, no longer even a shred of fear, but the constant enjoyment of perpetual eternal beauty and wonder all the time. Now, that's what's going to happen when the Lord returns. That should increase our sense of hope. That's what's going to happen. I'm trusting in that so I can get through the present because I know what's coming in the future. Now, here's something else that will happen that Isaiah is perhaps one of the most descriptive about, and that is the renovation of the entire physical universe. Let me say that again. That when the Lord returns to Zion, he will renovate the entire physical universe. Isaiah, chapter 65, 17 through 22. And and you'll hear um, some of what I read in Revelation here, because Revelation cites this verse, or these verses. 65, 17 through 22. The Lord says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come, to, come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in, in, in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. Notice it's a place to be a joy in her people, to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. That's a way of talking about dying and leaving it to another person. It's not going to happen. They shall not plant and another eat, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. This is a recreation of the physical universe, heavens and earth, in which there is planting and there is reaping and there is eating and there is building and there is living. That is, it is a recreation of the physical universe. Now, what I want to say is that it's not the creation of a different earth or a different creation, but rather a renovation, a renewal, or a recreation of what God created first. In other words, the Lord is not going to take his creation, which he loves, and wad it up like a, like a piece of paper and throw it into the cosmic trash can. Because he loves it, and in Christ he is reclaiming and will restore what was fallen. Now, I, I believe that that is clear from Romans chapter 8 where Paul talks about the present creation groaning and frustrated, waiting to be liberated. Not waiting to be hucked in the trash can or completely done away with as if God said, okay, I'm done with that. No, it's a recreation. It's a liberation. It's a renovation of what we already live in. And you take a look at passages in in the New Testament 
um, the talk about the blood of Jesus, and you realize what the blood of Christ did and what the cross did was far bigger than just atone for the sins of his people. You read things like Colossians chapter 1, which says that God reconciled all things. In other words, he brought all things together, things in heaven and things on earth, through the cross. God's design is to reclaim, renovate, and recreate everything he's created. The creation. Um, in other words, our final state, Christians, and our final hope is not simply to go to heaven. Now that might alarm some of you. I thought when you die you go to heaven. In one sense you do. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5. But that's a holding tank. That's a detour. Our final destination is not some phantom existence in heaven. It is back here on the earth in a physical, recreated, renovated world. I like the way that um, Christopher Wright, he's a, a theologian in Britain, writes about this. He says, <laughs> this is great terminology, heaven when you die is only a transit lounge. A transit lounge for the new creation. N.T. Wright, the other Wright in England, calls it, says it this way, life after life after death. Think about that for a second. Life after death is heaven. Life after life after death is the new creation. Now, I don't know if that connects with you, but it connects with me. And it connects with a lot of other people. Because while we might not like, might not like the sinfulness of the world and what sin has done to the created world, we still love this place as our home. We still love to go for walks. We still love the smell of, 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 uh, of the air after a fresh rain. Still love the smell of, of fresh basil leaves being cut up. Taking my kids to Fort Bragg and looking to a, to a tide pool where there's a whole like a, a little ecosystem of wonders and colors and kids are just overwhelmed and that's just a little tiny tide pool. Or, or you name it, watching the sun dissolve into the ocean. What do painters paint? Well, a lot of them paint creation because that's the best thing they can take in. What do poets write about? They write about oftentimes love, created love or people or created things. The reason people in our time worship the earth is because if you don't believe there's a God, that's the next best thing. Somehow there's a sense that this is our home. And the fact of the matter is it is our home. God didn't make a mistake when he created us as physical people on a physical planet. And someday, someday, we'll be back here, but it will be recreated, renovated, and eternal, and no longer subject to decay. That, in my thinking, is an awesome thought. Even the, even, even the, the language that we talk about, Jesus' second coming, where is he coming to? He's, he's coming here. I, mean, I suppose there's some theology that says he comes and then takes us away for a little bit, but then we come back. But the fact of the matter, he's coming. And where is he coming to? He's coming back here to this physical place where we're standing, and he's coming to renovate it and recreate it. And he's bringing heaven with him. So we're, in a, we're, in a, we're finishing up dinner at, at my wife's house um, over Thanksgiving break. And um, 
I am blessed beyond beyond imagination with amazing in-laws, and I, I know that some of you want to cuss me out right now because you have not had that experience. But I just, you know, my, when I, there's something that happens in my fellowship with my in-laws, and they're just all Christians and believers, and they just love God's word, and they love God. And, and every time I go there, there's a sense of sadness when we're getting ready to depart. So on the night before we left, we're all sitting around the table, and there's this sense of looming sadness, like, that's over, you know? And I don't know what prompted me to say this, but I, I was thinking about this. As I said, there's two things I like thinking about, this cross, and that's the new creation. And I think I said, you know what? We're, it's nice to know that this is just kind of a shadowy foretaste of what's to come because we're going to be back here someday. And you're going to smile in the same way that you smile now, and it's going to be a renovated smile because you're going to get a new body. And we're still going to eat, and we're still going to gather, and we're still going to sing, and we're going to create, and we're going to have meaningful work. Only there's not going to be the pressure of time or there's not going to be the neglect of the present moment for the worry of a future moment. And there was a, around the table, there was a sense of, wow, that is awesome. And that's what it's supposed to do. You know, that's, that's what these are here for. Not just so we pull them out at, uh, at Christmas or at Easter, but, but to let our minds dwell on these truths that God, at some point, definitively will wipe away every shred of suffering and he is going to renovate the, the creation that we have fallen in love with, which he loves. That's a picture we can hold on to. That's the end of the story, or should I say the beginning of the story? And then, of course, there's the, the last part, which is the, the center of it all, and that is um, the restoration of face-to-face fellowship with God. Um, that, of course, is implied. The return of the Lord to Zion. God comes back to be with his people. That's Revelation 21. He will be with them, and he will be their God, and he shall be his people. Um, Isaiah 11.9, the earth, when the Lord returns to Zion back to his people, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, there will be, when that day comes, there will be no place and no time where we will not constantly, perpetually, and eternally experience the refreshing new presence of God in all of its fullness, no matter what we're doing or where we are. And for those who have even gotten a glimpse, you know those moments when you, you taste and know that the Lord is good, and you're just like, I want more? Like we were singing a few minutes ago, I was just like, we just got to keep going, keep going, because I just so love connecting with the truth of who God is and what he's doing, and the fact that he loves us, and he died for us, and he justified us, and coming again, and so forth. Those moments when your heart leaves because you just know he's so good, someday that, that, that little teaspoon is going to turn into an ocean as the oceans cover the sea, or is that, what is it, the waters cover the sea, that's what it'll be, ever increasing, you'll never be familiar with it in the sense that you grow stale or stagnant, but always overflowing, I was walking around service, this is what makes me think of in terms of human analogy, is I was walking around after a service one Sunday, and, and I found this little girl up against the wall, and she, I didn't know who she was, and she was just standing there, and she was bawling her eyes out. Nobody was around her. And I'm like, oh, there's this little, little kid over there. She's crying her eyes out, so I walked over, and um, she didn't do the right thing. She should have said, stranger, and just walked away. But um, Maybe she knew who I was, so I, I bent down, and I said, hey, sweetheart, what's wrong? And, uh, and in her tears and cr- crying, she muttered, I, I can't find my mom. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, because I have kids, you know. I just, if someone found my kids, I'd want them to do this. And so 
I said, let's, let's go find your mommy. And I, I grabbed her hand, and we walked, and she was crying. And we got into the foyer. And, and I don't know who the girl was or who the mom was, but she saw her mom. Tears instantly stopped. She let go of my hand really quick. And she bolted to her mom and clutched her like she'd never let her go because she was back in the arms of the one who loved her most and where she found security and satisfaction in the arms of her mom. And we can feel that a little bit, but let me tell you, Psalm 42, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so our soul longs after you, O God. The day is coming when we will pant no more. day is coming when we will pant no more. That, my friends, is the vision of the Bible, and I don't care what's happening in your life, as hard as it is. If we keep our faith and hope refreshed in the truth that Jesus is going to heal it all, and he's going to recreate it all, and that I get to be with him face to face, never to pant again, well, then we can endure, and we can rejoice, even if it's a wintry, suffering kind of rejoicing, And we can live with freedom. And you know, as far off as that day may seem, it's going to come a lot quicker. You know, time seems to, as you get older, it goes faster and faster. And you realize that things that you thought never would happen actually do happen. I remember being in my, I don't know, 7, 8, 9, thinking, I'll never be 40. That's way too far off. And then, it's like, came and it went. The day came and went. And and I know people in your 20s and 30s think, never die. You think it, but you don't believe it. Um, That's too far off, but you hiccup, and next thing you know, you're looking at your final days. The reason I point that out is because time's going to go really quickly. And someday, someday we're all going to wake up together. And this is what I like to think of, is at some point, we're going to come to life after our little transit lounge in heaven and we will see with physical eyes physical senses the return of the Lord and we will see him recreate all things and take away all pain and we will look at each other and say it finally came it's here if you can dwell in that place that's why hope has to be refreshed constantly don't let texts like this be a seasonal thing let texts like this be a daily thing so that we might have the hope to run the race with endurance and joy. It's for the joy set before us of the new creation and the return of the Lord to Zion that we run the race with passion. Will you, um, in response to this, if you're with somebody, if you're not, you don't need to find somebody, but if you would just say a gentle prayer over the person you're with and just say, Lord, increase their hope, make this a living reality um, in their life, um, then I think each of us would be blessed by having prayers prayed over us. And then John's going to lead us in a final song of worship um, focused on Christ. So take a couple of moments, just pray over each other.